Well, America, it is great to be with you again. This is Mark, and you have tuned into The Daily Answer. We want to talk about something from my childhood this morning, Goofus Gallant and the Doctor. When I was a child, going to the doctor was a religious experience. His office was located on the third floor of the Masonic building in town. As you entered, you saw one of those 1960s civil defense signs indicating that a bomb shelter existed in the basement. Everything about the place was serious. Life, nuclear annihilation, serious. Men upstairs that wore aprons that had hammers and went through various mysterious ceremonies. It was all serious. The waiting room did not contain any well, I mean, when my kids went to the doctor, it'd be like fish tanks and toys and no, no fish tanks, toys, no carpet or comforting, uplifting pictures or cozy chairs. All the chairs faced the center of the room in this office. And it was just like a linoleum floor. They were all high backed wooden chairs. I'm not sure if there was a single picture in the room. Comfort not a consideration. You could look out the windows and see the people on the street below going about their daily business. Men and women going into, oh, it was then First National Bank, people crossing over to the furniture store, heading down the street. Yeah, those were the lucky people. For here I was waiting to see if I lived or died in my mind, or even worse, got a shot. As I, sat, as I sat there awaiting my sentence, I would often read Highlights Magazine, a popular kids' magazine of the time. I would read about the adventures of a strange family called the Timber Toes, which seems like they all had very round feet, and find all the hidden objects that were drawn into a certain picture. Near the back were often poems or pictures submitted by other children across the nation. And some of those pictures could be rather intimidating. There's some eight-year-old girl from Nebraska named Mary who could draw a lot better than I could at 10. Others look very similar to how I drew. Hey, there are kids out there that like drawing planes and tanks and army pictures, just like me. And others revealed a kid that just give up. <laughs> you, have, you have zero artistic ability. Sorry to tell you, saw the tale of Johnny, but just stop the drawing right now or even the attempt of being a poet. But it was helpful kind of to see where I stacked up to the other kids in the nation. The nurse who escorted you into the doctor's office once your name was called did not smile. She had a perpetual frown, tall, thin, not cheerful. Not at all talkative like, hey, Mark, it's good to see you again. How's it going? And certainly not some nurse in a colorful smock. No, this was a crisp white nurse's uniform with the white stockings and the hat. The whole deal. And she wore red lipstick and kind of had a crooked expression on her face. Maybe just a perpetual... Could we say a perpetual look of disgust that here I was, some kid, occupying 
the precious time of the doctor that she served. The entire inner office smelled of rubbing alcohol. Now, my doctor would be sitting at his desk in a white lab coat, and he had a bald head. And I mean, no, we, this is not a doctor in slacks and a golf shirt and, you know, like a pair of jeans or whatever, like, hey, hey, Mark, how is it going? What I gleaned in my visits was that he had been in the Second World War and had ended up stationed in Europe. And the reason my mom had chosen this doctor over the other ones in town is because years before my cousin, before the day and age of seatbelts, was riding in a car out in the country. They came around a corner and the passenger door flew open and he fell out. And I mean, it was, I mean, horrendous. His, like his whole scalp and everything was like peeled back from his skull. And no doctor in town would touch him as far as to operate. But this one did. This was a newer guy. And I mean, they, they were like major head injuries. And the doctor sewed him up and my cousin both survived and recovered. And tell you what, that's enough for my mom to convince my mom of his competency. He won the job over the doctor who drove the Rolls Royce. <laughs> Here's a guy in a town of like 5,000 people, and there's more than one doctor. He's driving a Rolls Royce. I don't know what's going on there. And the other one who smoked a pipe. As I noted, his, 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 his lobby was sparse and his office was sparse. There, there were no pictures of soaring eagles. There were no pictures of you can do it and reach for the stars. And, and no, there was none of that sort of thing that came on later. Rather, this is just an office chair and, and probably an office chair from 50 years ago, a, a wood, a wooden office chair, a lawyer's bookcase with medical books in it a framed picture of his degree, a solid wood desk that would take four people to lift it up. And there might, there might have been a picture of his wife and kids on the desk. Now, the one joy that existed in this place was the privilege of watching him write my prescription. He used a pen that was not a quill dipped in ink, but boy, something that came along not long after that. It was a type of pen that Woodrow Wilson or Teddy Roosevelt would have used to sign legislation or treaties with foreign powers. I love to hear the sound as he scratched out the prescription to be given to the pharmacist. For me, it was just a piece of pure art. I could have sat there and watched him write prescriptions all day long. As he handed the white paper to me, and I looked at it. I couldn't make head or tail out of any of the words on it, yet it was beautiful. I wanted to write like that one day, like write something that no one could understand, but they would say, I can't understand a single thing you said there, but boy, is it pretty. Of course, that would be really practical, wouldn't it? I always simply was amazed that when I went to the local pharmacy, the pharmacist actually understood what was on the paper. The religious experience part came while I was waiting, while I was waiting for my name to be called. I would be there reading Highlights Magazine, and there would always be a monthly, it's not article, it'd be like a cartoon strip containing Goofus and Gallant, two boys. And Goofus was always selfish in the, like the frames 
of the cartoon strip and Gallant was the noble one. And oh, it would be convicting to my young heart had I been behaving like a goofus, demanding his way, ignored others. I mean, he just just selfish brat of a kid, only thinking about himself, showing poor manage and judgment just into himself. And in that office, I would pray, God, just help me survive and make it back to where all the happy people are on the sidewalks below. And God, help me not to be a goofus. Many people today might consider the goofus and gallant section to be dated or, or even judgmental. They, they, they might argue that, well, people are more complicated than that or that no one is really a goofus and gallant was just too good to be true. And that every, let's take everyone and just make them a shade of gray, this gray version of ourselves. But I tell you what. A gray version of Gallant would, Gallant would not have convicted me because I was that. I mean, a gray version would have been completely useless to me, to my younger self. I was the gray version, and I didn't want to stay that way. Thank God for making it clear in Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, be ye holy for I am holy, starting in verse 14. Or, I want you to be blameless, innocent children of God who shine as lights in a crooked and perverse generation, Philippians 2, 14 through 15. You know, just beware if you're the type of person who wants to tear down all the gallants in the world, all the ideals like Cain wanting to get rid of Abel. Well, look at your motivation. There are gallants in the world. There are amazing people in the world. They're in the Bible like Joseph and Daniel. They've been every gen in every generation, and they are with us to this day. There were men like Timothy in the first century. There are gallants. There are gallants out there today. There are people that are unselfish and that are sacrificial and that um, are patient and kind and love their parents and our good husbands and fathers and there are good kids out there there are but are we really going to have to tear down the ideal to make everybody else feel good about themselves is that really what you're going to do you know if you tear down the ideal if you try to make everyone a shade of gray if you kind of get rid of all the gallants in the world yeah, you might not feel so bad about yourself at the moment, but don't be surprised if there's nothing to lift you up out of the pit when you need a hand. Tell you what, for me, Gallant was always there in that cartoon, lending me his hand and telling me this ideal is doable. This is the way you need to be. This is how you need to treat your siblings. This is how you need to treat your schoolmates. This is how you need to treat your mom and dad. Be a gallant. And I miss that. I miss that that cartoon strip. And and I, I, I miss a time where they could make it clear, black and white. You know, I know we live in a world today where people say, well, you know, yeah, my kid's this unbelieving, selfish, drug-dealing, abusive, you know, but hey, they're a good kid. Well, no, they're not. Let's stop lying to ourselves and let's stop lying to them. And that's kind of the other point there with the kids that would draw. I mean, there were kids in the back of that magazine that you could have said, man, you have artistic talents, right? The poems that they 
they composed and the pictures they drew, hey, you actually have some talent. All right. There were other kids that you could say, you don't have any talent at all. <laughs> okay. And it's very helpful for people to point that out to you in life. Okay. If you're thinking of being an artist, you don't have the skill for that. I can tell by what you're drawing right now. Now you can work on it. You can improve. You can see. But at the end of the day, you need to be honest. You need to be honest with yourself when you realize, you know what? I'm not any good at that. And the good news is that everyone doesn't have to be good at an artist or poetry. Not everyone has to be good at that. That's okay. But it's interesting that the Bible is clear. But on the other hand, everyone needs to be. Everyone needs to be honest and good and moral and virtuous and ethical and unselfish. In that category, in the category of the fruit of the Spirit, joy and love and peace and gentleness and self-control, you know, the qualities of diligence and all of that, everyone, that, that's the standard all of us are going to be judged by. And when it comes to evil, no one is given a free pass on fornication or adultery or theft or lying or etc. And I think our world was a lot better world when we were clear about who's a goofus and who's a gallant. Instead of, instead of trying to make all the goofuses out there not feel so bad about themselves, and guess what? We don't need more goofuses in the world. And we don't need them feeling good about themselves either. That's the most dangerous thing. The most dangerous thing that you can do for a selfish child is to make them feel good about themselves. That is a really bad idea. The other thing here is that what really I benefited from was I, I benefited from situations where I had to ponder my own mortality. Don't prevent, don't, please don't want your kids to have it easy. And I guess I don't mind a doctor's office having like comfy chairs and carpet in it now, okay? But there was a real benefit for me years ago when there was none of that. And you were simply like, you know, this could be life or death. Life can be serious at times. And you don't, we need to make sure we don't sugarcoat everything. Yeah, you might be going in and getting a shot and having a nurse in a cute smock or a fish tank in the lobby. You're still going to get a shot. And that's still reality. And I like things being cozy and nice. But as a child, I really ben benefited from coming to terms with my own mortality. I knew bad things could instantly happen to anyone in our world. I had a friend in sixth grade whose name was also Mark. Mark went home sick one day and never returned. He died at the hospital. The cause, I was never told. Yeah, he just... He, he was there one day and the next day, you know, the mom and dad took him in like to the emergency room, like either late at night, early in the morning. And um, he never came back. That made an impression upon me. Death could reach out and touch me as well. I was only in the sixth grade. I was just a kid. Okay. But there's no safety in a young age. There's no refuge in being young or in the sixth grade. Another benefit was that years later when I was living in sin, a part of me knew I was being goofus. Titus 3, verse 3, we were once foolish. We were once foolish, enslaved the various lusts and pleasures, hateful and hating one another. 
would become children of wrath, even as the rest. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Be careful also about trying to comfort your children when they're going through something a little bit scary. Scary things are good. It's also incredibly helpful for kids to realize that you cannot protect them from everything. There are just things that can happen in this world that mom and dad cannot protect them from. And I think that's helpful in for a child to start growing up, maturing, and to start looking for the person that can, that is the true place of refuge. And that would be God. And that's where we want our kids landing anyway, right? So, Goofus, Gallant, and the Doctor, I'm still working on being Gallant. I think that's a very attainable ideal. How about you? Until next time, this is Mark with The Daily Answer. And we'll see you. Bella, where will we see them? Bella says, we'll see you in the funny papers. 